Excellent. Just a couple of quick announcements. Um, next week, I think you are all aware, we're not going to be doing a formal service here. We're going to be at Paul Meyer Park. We'll s yeah! Yeah! We're still going to start at 1030. And this man is so excited because we have great people at this church. Can I just tell you, Algie and Rika are taking the lead and they're helping to organize. Um, it's going to be potluck style. So please bring some food for your family and maybe a little extra to share. We have a sign-up sheet. Please make sure to sign up so not everybody brings rice. Um, we might have a lot of rice there. So um, Ardell, I don't know if he's here. He's taking the lead on games. So if you have any ideas or equipment you want to bring, connect with Ardell. Um, and if you have, obviously, comfort items, your favorite chair, whatever it is, please bring that. We will have tents and chairs for us. Um, and it's just going to be a wonderful day of fellowship. So we encourage you to come out. And then we also encourage you to invite others to come out, right? Because next weekend's going to be a lot of fun. That's October 8th. But October 15th, we're going to be celebrating again. It's going to be our five-year anniversary here in Las Vegas, Every Nation Church. Another reason to give you the courage to ask a neighbor, to ask a friend, to ask a family member, to ask a stranger, come join us here at Every Nation for our service on October 15th, all right? More details to come on that. But we're really super excited for the next two weeks. We have a lot of great things uh, to celebrate with one another. Um, finally, without further ado, I would love to announce the one, the only, magnificent minister, prince of prayer, Mr. Matthew Dane Belusa. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Marka. Appreciate you guys being up here. Can we give it up for them? There is a lot of excitement going on in our church right now. It's exciting for me to see Eric and Marka up here. We've got excitement in the next two weeks. We are excited that you're here this morning. And my family and I were excited yesterday because we were at the UNLV versus University of Hawaii football game. Now, if you're not familiar with college football, or at least college football here in Las Vegas, this is a rivalry game for UNLV. This is the Ninth Island Showdown. And uh, it was an exciting time. It was a lot of fun. Um, there were 20,000 people in attendance. The crowd was into it. There was loud music. Of course, Allegiant Stadium is state-of-the-art, so we loved being in that environment. Um, we actually took Allie yesterday, and it was, it was her first time at a football game ever. And I'm a little bit worried because she loves football now, but I'm scared that the standard is just a little bit too high. But it's okay. It's, it's okay. We will lower the standard gently over time as she experiences real stadium seating. But although we had fun in that environment yesterday, um, and although I'd love to go to plenty of UNLV games and plenty of football games, uh, we're, we're joking, right? So we're Eagles fans. I made the mistake of looking at the score before stepping out onto stage. Wish I didn't. Maybe you shouldn't either. But... Uh, we, my wife and I, Jerick, we're joking that if the Eagles make the Super Bowl, which is here in Las Vegas this year, we're going to have to sell a car so that we can afford tickets to go to the game. We're joking, I think. Right, so I, I want to be in that environment, but I would never want to live at a football game. Can you imagine living in a football stadium 
with a game happening 24-7, one game ends, another game starts, and the cheering never ends, and the music never ends, and the food is awesome, but we should probably eat other things too. We as human beings were just not designed to live in such a noisy environment, and yet we do. Because there's a lot of noise in the world around us, and there might be a lot of noise inside us. In fact, there's probably a lot of noise in your pocket, your pocket right now. We have our phones, and our phones have alarms. Our phones have alerts. We have calendars with invites inviting us to things constantly. And of course, we have social media. But again, we were not made to be inundated and live in this kind of noise. And that's why, whether we use the actual feature or not, we need to turn on airplane mode. And that's the title of the brand new series of sermons that we're starting this morning. We want to enter in airplane mode with God because we need to escape the noise long enough to know God personally and to pursue God and follow God practically. And that's what we see as we turn to our main passage in the book of Luke. Now, look, Luke was known for its historical accuracy. I was reading this past week, and there was a historian and an archaeologist from Oxford named Sir William Ramsey. Now, Sir Ramsey was an atheist, and he wanted to go about disproving the entire Bible, and his plan was to do that by using archaeology. So he committed to archaeological digs, and he took the two books that Luke wrote in the New Testament, the book of Luke, obviously, and the book of Acts. And what he did was he started to go about digging in different cities to try to verify or disprove what Luke told everyone that lives today. And after 25 years, two and a half decades of dedicated truth, Sir William Ramsey actually ended up proving what Luke said in the New Testament. And he called Luke one of the most accurate historians of all time, and as a result of Luke's testimony, gave his life to Jesus. So, one of the testimonies and one of the accounts that Luke passes on to us is that of a group of men who are pursuing Jesus in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26, or so 23 or 26. Anyway, we'll read it together. Let's find out. Here's what it says. Ah, this is 26. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat, through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave, gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, in our pursuit of Jesus, things will get in our way. 
But it's still possible for us to experience God in a way that goes above and beyond our expectations. And that's the title of the sermon today. Let's get to it after we pray. Bow your heads with me, please. Lord, thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name that we have the great opportunity to gather together in your presence and experience your presence, fellowship with one another, and to hear your word. Lord, we pray for each and every single person here that you would encounter them, that you would speak to them, and Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them because you went above and beyond for us to know you. And that's what we want. Teach us how to do that by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when we think about this passage in the Bible, we see a group of men really desiring to seek Jesus. And along the way, obstacles get between them. Now, it's a little similar for us. Uh, Jesus was available physically back then. He's available to us spiritually now. But when we try to pursue Jesus, the same thing happens. Uh, Obstacles will get in our way when we try to pursue God. And I think if we look at this passage in Luke chapter 5, we can identify at least three different categories of obstacles that are present in this passage. They represent different difficulties that get in our way. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it gives us an idea of the kind of things that will happen to us when we try to seek God. So some of the obstacles that we will face are inconvenient. Right, you've got a group of men here, and praise God, it's such a beautiful picture of community like Marco was talking about. Because we've got a paralyzed man here, and he obviously can't seek Jesus on his own, but he was surrounded by community that was willing to carry him. And this community picked him up, and they pursued Jesus together. We, as Christians, are not meant to follow Jesus alone. We're meant to be established in Christian community, and this, that's what this man was. So they go off, and these men are carrying their friend or their family member to meet Jesus. But people are heavy. I've got two daughters, one is five, one is one. They are not big. They are sized similarly to their dad. But carrying my daughters gets heavy. Imagine carrying a fully grown man on a mat. So now they're carrying their friend and he's there on the mat. And maybe there's four of them, one in each corner. And along the way, their hearts and their souls are screaming out to them, get this guy to Jesus. Jesus can do something. Jesus has what you're looking for. And at the same time, their hearts and souls are screaming out. Their arms and their shoulders and their triceps are screaming out too. Get to Jesus faster. Because they're getting tired. They're carrying this guy. Maybe one or two of the men humbled themselves and asked to switch sides. So they could work out the other arm. The muscle pain would have been an inconvenience on their pursuit of Christ. So now they're carrying their friend and they turn the corner and they see the house where Jesus is supposed to be speaking. But this house has plenty of people there. There's an entire crowd. People are spilling out the front door. They're crowding around the windows trying to see. You can see the fancy Pharisees and teachers of the law dressed up there in whatever attire they wore back then. And this crowd that stood in their way was another inconvenience that stood between them and Jesus. And isn't it the case that a lot of us even if we try to pursue Jesus with a full heart, we'll run into inconveniences along the way. Because we're busy. We have things to do. We have to go to work. You have assignments in school. You have to study for exams. I know a lot of students had exams this past week. We've got to take care of the kids. We've got to cook dinner. We've got to take out the trash. We've got to wash the dishes. There is a lot to get done, so we're busy. And at the end of all this business, we're tired. 
We're exhausted, and all of this weariness makes it hard to pursue Jesus. If we wake up early, we're tired. If we give Jesus time at the end of our day when the distractions are gone and the kids are asleep, we're tired. And on top of being tired, we are distracted. And some distractions are within our control. Right? We control how many times we click on our phone. We control how many times we open up Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. We also, by the way, control how many times we open up the Bible app. But some distractions are not within our control. When the kids get sick for the second time in three weeks, and they keep you up at night because you have to take care of them and help them blow their nose and give them hugs, and they go back to sleep, but you don't. It's an inconvenience. You're not in control of that. That's not an example either, but it's okay. When people need your help, we're not in control of those things. So inconvenient obstacles get in our way. There are also irritating obstacles. And there were irritating obstacles in this story. Uh, the passage mentions, mentions the Pharisees and teachers of the law who came to hear Jesus speak. And some of them were from Galilee, and they were in Galilee. But some of them were from Judea and Jerusalem. Now, until you pull up a map, you don't realize how far that is. The walk, and they would have walked from the area of Jerusalem and Judea all the way to Galilee would have been a walk of 100 miles. If one of the Pharisees was fit and they did nothing but walk, that would have taken two days to get there. Realistically, it probably took them three or four days to walk the distance from Jerusalem and Judea all the way to Galilee. And you might think to yourself, well, that's not irritating. That's wonderful. Look how far they went to hear Jesus. They didn't go to hear Jesus. They went to hate on Jesus. That is grade A haterade with extra electrolytes. They went there to argue with him and debate him and try to steal people back. That's irritating. And irritating things happen in our lives when we try to live for Jesus. For some of you, it might have happened this morning as you were driving to church. And you're playing worship music, singing about how you trust in God, your Savior, the one who will never fail. And then somebody cuts you off. And instead of raising one hand in worship while one hand holds the steering wheel, you're raising one finger. Thumbs up. I hope you get where you want on time. Because that's what we do, right? <laughs> Love your neighbor and your enemy. Yeah, you might have been cut off. Or maybe you're living for Jesus and you're trying to do everything you can in every area of your life, including work. And there's just someone at work who brings out the absolute worst in you. And they get under your skin and they grind your gears. Some obstacles are irritating. But I would rather deal with an irritating obstacle than an impossible obstacle. Some obstacles feel absolutely impossible to get around in our pursuit of God. These obstacles might be tangible. They might be intangible. The paralyzed man in this story was paralyzed. He couldn't get to Jesus by himself. It's a tangible, impossible obstacle. So he's got his friends or his family members who pick him up. And they make the walk. And they're getting a good workout on the way. But when they get there, they see the crowd. But around this time, first century homes in Galilee mostly had stairs on the side of the house to get up to the roof because there was a patio on the roof. It's just what they did in their area of architecture. 
right? In the modern era, we have open concepts. In the 70s, they had shag carpet and popcorn ceilings. And in first century Galilee, they had stairs that led up to the patio on the roof. So these men walked up the stairs, holding their friend at an angle, make sure he doesn't slip off his rug. And when they get up there, they're probably hoping that the roof is made up of thatch. And some of the roofs back then were made up of thatch and hay. It's cheaper, more available. But this particular roof, according to Luke, the accurate historian, this roof was made up of tile. And this tile would have been made of a mixture of hardened clay and straw. And they would have had to find a way to break through a solid layer of essentially early concrete. And underneath that was a layer of wood holding this roof up. So if I were on the roof with me not really knowing how to assemble IKEA things, I would have looked at that roof and thought that is a tangible and impossible obstacle. So those are tangible obstacles in terms of intangible obstacles. The man who was there on the mat to Jesus and praise God for that. But I doubt he felt like that all the time. He was paralyzed. And he was a human being. And there must have been moments in his life where he wondered about the goodness of God when he couldn't even walk. And at points in his life, that doubt might have felt like an intangible, insurmountable, impossible obstacle to overcome. And we run into these tangible and intangible obstacles too. We live in Las Vegas. People have strange work schedules here. And a very tangible, impossible obstacle happens when someone works on a Sunday morning and they can't come to church. That's why some people aren't here right now. They want to be here. They want to come. They can't clock out. Other people, they work the whole night before and they get off work after the sun starts work. And if you know Jesus and you follow him, maybe you'll come to church. And praise God for those of you who do. You're my heroes. Because some weeks you're here and you look like you're auditioning for the walking dead. But you're here anyway and God honors that. God loves that. When you give him what you have. But the people who need Jesus, who don't know him yet, aren't as willing to make that same effort. For them it is a tangible and impossible obstacle. For other people, they may have these intangible obstacles because people may have had bad experiences with others who are Christians. I have. Other people may have had bad experiences with those who claim to be Christians or those who think that they're Christians. And regardless of whether they're Christians or not, it feels like an impossible obstacle. Other people are wrestling with so many questions in their mind and on their heart that they want to pursue God, and yet it's impossible for them to get past these lingering questions and doubts. I remember I used to have conversations with one man who was skeptical and had plenty of questions, and he really wanted to know God, and he'd attend group, and he'd attend service, but these questions would persist. At that point, they felt like impossible obstacles to overcome. So we can encounter these inconvenient and irritating and impossible obstacles. We can also encounter obstacles that don't fit neatly into one of these categories and that don't start with the letter I. However, any of these obstacles can overwhelm 
our desire to experience the presence of God. Thankfully, we know the end of the story in our main passage in Luke 5 because it happened 2,000 years ago and we read it all together. So these guys did not stop pursuing Jesus, but other people did. For example, in John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching a multitude because he had just finished feeding the 5,000. And he starts talking about how I am the bread of life and the bread that I'm talking about is my flesh. Now, he's not being literal in saying that the bread that we eat when we have communion is flesh. It's bread. However, Jesus gave his flesh on the cross to give us life. And because of that, we can have eternal life in him. Now, that confused people at the time, and it put people off. And John chapter 6, verse 66 tells us that many people stopped following Jesus at that moment. The majority of the people who were following him. Imagine that. This incredible thing happens. Jesus feeds 5,000 men, which doesn't count the women and children, probably closer to fifteen to 20,000 people in total. It's like change and revival is happening in Israel. And Jesus says one thing, and the majority of them leave. Also in Luke chapter 18, I believe, Jesus has a conversation with a rich young ruler. And the ruler approaches Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, I can talk again, thank you, Jesus. He gives it the wrong answer. And he says, obey the Ten Commandments. And Jesus does this because he's setting the man up for a test. So the man responds, well, I've done the Ten Commandments my whole life. I'm a good person, Jesus. And then Jesus gives him the test and says, okay, cool. There's only one thing you lack. You're almost there. So absolutely everything you have. Take all of that money and give it away to the poor, and then come and follow me. Jesus was not making this man do something to earn salvation. He was not making him buy salvation. What he was doing was testing this man's heart. Because this man loved his wealth more than he loved God. And as a result of that love, he walked away. His love for money and wealth and possessions was an impossible obstacle that overwhelmed his desire to know God. We all experience obstacles in our lives. At what point do the obstacles become so great that they overwhelm your desire to know God? Does it happen when things are inconvenient? Or when inconvenient things happen one after another and they start to pile up again and again and again. I thought I had time this morning to spend with God, but I still have to do the laundry. I still have to write an email for work. I still got to go pick up the kids. I don't have time for God this morning. Does it happen when we're irritated because we don't know what God is doing in our lives? Because one of God's people irritated us. Because somebody else who we think is not God's person irritated us. Or do we become overwhelmed and we stop pursuing God when faced with something that feels impossible for us to get past? Regardless of what that point might be for you, we have all been tempted to pause our pursuit of Christ. Yet if we pause our pursuit of Christ, we remain unchanged. And our situations remain unchanged. And the paralyzed man in this story lived his life on this mat, on this little bed. 
and we too can make a little bed for ourselves. And our bed is made out of discomfort and disillusionment and dissatisfaction and disappointment. And we take this bed and we lay on it and we get stuck on it and we stop moving. And while the paralyzed man was paralyzed physically, we become paralyzed spiritually and our hearts stop pursuing God. And while we might become numb to the pain in our lives, while here on this bed made of our dissatisfaction, the causes for it, the causes for the pain, the root problems, the need in our soul, it continues to remain. And that's where we lie. Unwilling to pursue God further. Jesus doesn't want us to be stuck there. Jesus wants us to get up and walk. And he's not waiting for us to make the first move. Jesus made the first move. That's why Jesus went above and beyond to make himself available to us. Think about where Jesus is in this story. He's not in a throne room, even though he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's not in a temple He's not hanging out in the Holy of Holies waiting for one person, the high priest, to come before him once a year in absolute perfection according to the standard of the law to hopefully be good enough and not die in the presence of God. Jesus is hanging out in somebody's living room telling people about who God really is. Jesus surrounded himself with normal people, not societal elites, in fact, Jesus went out and pursued the people that others in society might have considered undesirable. The next account in Luke chapter 5 is Jesus hanging out with Matthew the tax collector. He went out and sought these people and Jesus spoke in a way that these people could understand. This is an individual, Jesus, who can defeat with regularity the intellectual elite, the upper crust of his day. He made it look like child's play. And yet he wanted everyone to understand him, so he spoke so everyone could understand him. Jesus was so approachable that children wanted to hang out with him. He even used a title that made him as approachable as possible. Some of you know Jesus' favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. And the Son of Man was a title that originated in the book of Daniel where Daniel sees a vision of heaven and the ancient of days, God, gives a kingdom to someone called the Son of Man and this kingdom lasts forever. So this kingdom and the Son of Man is very clearly a messianic prophecy and it's a messianic title. However, this title was not as popular as other titles to refer to the Messiah like Messiah and Christ and King. So why wouldn't Jesus use one of the more popular titles? He would instantly have more recognition. He would have more clout, if you will, like the Gen Zers say. Well, at this point in history, people had misconstrued the, the purpose of the Messiah or the Christ, and they thought it would be the person who would oppose Rome. And if Jesus had used the title Christ or Messiah or king, then he would have appeared to a majority of society as a revolutionary or a political leader, and most people would not have approached him. However, in saying he's the son of man, 
Jesus says, yes, I'm the Messiah. I am God who became flesh, but I am the son of man. I have skin. I have blood. I have bones like you, and you can approach me. Jesus went above and beyond to make himself accessible, approachable, and available. Yet the clearest example of this is in the gospel itself. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. And he lived the life that we were supposed to live. Then he died the death that we should have died in our place for our sin. Our sin needed to be paid for because it offended a holy, righteous God. It destroyed our relationship with him, and sin destroys relationship with other people. Someone needed to pay the price for that. And in his mercy, Jesus was unwilling to let us do that ourselves, so he did it for us. And that's why he went to the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross because it was just one way. Jesus went to the cross because he was the only way. And paying for our sin was the only way. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he's the son of God and proving that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he offers relationship with God and makes it available to anyone who repents and who believes in him. The love that we're looking for, the affirmation that we long for, the peace, the hope that we need, it's all available in that relationship with God, we have an endless need for these things. God has an endless supply. Our souls were literally made to crave him, and it's right there waiting and available for anyone who wants it. And if you're here this morning and you want to receive that gift for the first time, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and confess your belief out loud. It's not supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be a gift. And it's a gift we receive by faith in Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you might have already received that gift. But receiving a gift doesn't necessarily mean that we always use it. Isn't that right? And God is waiting for us to use the gift that he's given us. He's waiting for us to pursue him in faith. So if we want to find that rest in Jesus, we can find a way around the obstacles and beyond the barriers in faith. And that's what the men in this story did. They carry their friend up to the roof. They find a way through the hardened tile. They find a way through the layer of wood underneath. So whenever we, by the way, side note, whenever we see this moment in a recreation of it, like The Chosen or one of the movies about Jesus, has anybody ever seen this reenacted? It's always pretty quick, right? Where there's like a hatch built into the ceiling. That's not what it was like. These people are literally pounding through the ceiling, and they're chopping away the wood. So when we imagine this moment, we can imagine Jesus just hanging out there in the living room as branches start to fall from the sky, and pieces of dirt and clay and dust start to descend and fill the room, and wood just starts to fall down, and now this crowd that's crowding into the house that is pressing in on him and trying to get as close as possible, now they're starting to back up because there's wood falling on their heads. And that's why there's space to lay this man before Jesus. So that man's friends lower him before Jesus. And they're looking down. And Jesus is standing there. And he looks down and sees a man in front of him who's paralyzed and can't walk. Looks up into the sky and sees his friends looking down with big smiles on their faces. We did it! And I think the first things out of Jesus' mouth 
might have surprised people. The first thing that he said was, friend, your sins are forgiven. What? This guy's paralyzed. Isn't it obvious what he wants? Why would Jesus do that first? Because for Jesus, the sin in this man's heart that caused him to be distant from God was a greater problem than his paralysis. So Jesus forgave this man's sin and healed his heart first, then healed his legs later. When we pursue God, we are often concerned with results. But God's primary concern is relationship. So let's pursue God primarily for the sake of relationship. We seek his face, not his hands. And when we seek his face, his hands are more likely to move. When my daughters run up to me and say, Dad, I love you. Dad, you're the best dad in the whole world. I'm way more likely to give them whatever they want. And obviously, God's a better dad than me. And Jesus says, if you then, being evil, know how to give your children good gifts, how much more willing is your father to give good gifts to those who ask him? So we pursue God for the sake of relationship with God. And sometimes we need to pursue God consistently. Assume a regular week for yourself. Imagine your calendar plotted out before you if you do that each week, whether on paper or on Google like I do, some other platform. That calendar is there, and there should be at least some spaces that are there consistently too, even if it's lunch at work, even if it means before you wake up and before everyone else wakes up too. What spaces are there consistently? Give that space to God. If you have multiple spaces that are there consistently, give the best one to God. Jesus himself was more busy than the rest of us. People were chasing him through the desert, morning, noon, and night. So what Jesus would do, as we're told in the Gospels again and again, was wake up very early and wander off to desolate places to pray. Jesus slept less to spend time with his heavenly father and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes, whenever I can, I try to model that. I'm a morning person by nature, so I set my alarm to wake up a little bit earlier than I naturally would to spend time with Jesus. And if I had a good night's sleep, I'll wake up at 5 or 5.30, I'll make a cup of coffee, and I'll sit at the table, and I'll read my Bible and pray, and it's awesome time with God. I have not been having good sleep recently, but part of being consistent is having a consistent backup plan. And for me, the backup plan is praying in the car. I don't need music. I need God. I don't need to hear a podcast. I don't need another fantasy football podcast. I need Jesus. So I turn off Andy, Mike, and Jason. If you know, you know. And I tune in to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for my day, and I pray for our church, and I pray for my family. And that's my backup plan. And this week, I use my backup plan almost every single day but it's consistent. And God is pleased when we give him what we can consistently. Sometimes if we can't be consistent, we have to be creative. In unique seasons, look for unique opportunities. The guy on the mat asked his friends or his family, hey, can you take me to that Jesus guy? It's creative. There are ways for us to be creative. I remember in my last semester dorming, 
at university, I went back to having a roommate. And it was a little awkward for me to read my Bible and worship God and pray with my roommate sleeping there, acting like he couldn't hear me. So what I started to do was I would go for runs in the morning. It's a long time ago. I know, I know you can't tell. And I, I, on these runs, I wouldn't listen to my workout playlist, which had great songs like Eye of the Tiger and I'll Make a Man Out of You from Mulan. It's literally my playlist. I would listen to worship music. And then I'd go do my workout. And after I was done, I'd come back to the track field and I'd sit on one of the bleachers and I'd pull out my Bible app and I would read the Bible there. And I'd pray in a way that wasn't weird. I would just sit there and talk to God. And maybe if somebody looked up and saw me talking on the bench by myself, maybe that was weird for them, but not for me. I was just talking to God. And while that's not how I would design my perfect encounter with the Holy Spirit, God met me there. And over the course of my life and this time of walking with God, it was some of the best moments I ever had with him. Because I was creative. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Not all of your preferences. Not all of your favorite music. Not all of your ducks in a line. All of your heart. Sometimes our heart needs to move creatively. If you're looking for ways to be creative, the Bible app, if you have version, you can look at your phone now. You don't look at the football scores. Look at version. The, there's a tab in the middle on the bottom there that says plans. Many of you are familiar with that tab. If you aren't, and you click the, tab, the uh, plans um, button there, it'll give you different plans that you can read uh, on different topics like love, healing, hope, anxiety, ang anger, depression. There are different topics there uh, that can help you find a new creative way to follow Jesus. And our life groups will do a different discussion guide this week that will read through Luke chapter 5 together. So read Luke 5 to today, tonight when you go home. Read it before you have your group. And you'll go through a new list of questions because we want to follow God creatively. And we do this to find a way around the obstacles and beyond the barriers by faith. Sometimes we get around the obstacles by being consistent. Sometimes we get beyond the barriers by being creative. But regardless of what it takes to get to Jesus, if we're willing to pursue him in faith, God will leave us in awe. I had fun this week when I imagined the men who carry their friend on the map. Because out of everyone who's ever existed and everyone who will be there in eternity, they would have had a really special and unique view that they share with each other forever. And they would have been standing there on the roof, peering through a hole they made in someone's house, just looking. And Jesus forgives their friend's sin. And then he speaks to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Then he looks down at their friend again and says, take up your mat and walk. And they would have seen their friend through this hole in the ceiling stand up and look at Jesus these men who went around the obstacles above them, beyond the barriers, they had a fresh and unique perspective of God. The man who was willing to humble himself and just lay on his mat as he entrusted himself to the Savior, he had a faith 
that was willing to be lowered through the ceiling because being lowered is a lot easier than being raised back up. So he knew that it would be Jesus to raise him up. After he pursued Jesus, he stood up at his word and came face to face with the Savior. And if we will be willing to go above and around the obstacles, to go beyond the barriers, we will be left with a brand new and fresh perspective of Jesus. I mentioned the man earlier who I was having these evangelistic conversations with. He had these impossible barriers in his mind. Brilliant guy, lawyer by trade. So he'd ask these questions. And I remember a particular day where we were talking over uh, Google Meet, if I'm not mistaken. And I emptied the tank regarding all the apologetics I knew. And I shared all the theology that I knew. And I just ran out of stuff to say. And so it was a last gasp effort. I think I said something along the lines of, if God wants you, God's going to find a way to get you. And for me, that was me giving up. But as this man told me a few years later on a Sunday while we served together, that was actually what he needed to hear that day. And God used it. And this is a guy who would consistently go to group, even as he wrestled. He would have creative questions. And that moment, because of God's grace, left him with a fresh perspective of who Jesus is. And that guy is the one who introduced me this morning. It was Eric. He was consistent, and he was creative, and he helped all of us, along with Marka, to have a fresh perspective of Jesus this morning. So we're all going to encounter obstacles as we try to seek God. And they'll be irritating and inconvenient, and sometimes they might feel impossible but we shouldn't let those things keep us from pursuing God because God in his son, Jesus Christ, went above the obstacles and around the barriers to make himself available to us. And in response to his love that pursued us, that chased us, that left heaven to come to earth to find us, in response to that love, we go around any obstacle we find. We become consistent and creative in our pursuit of Jesus. Because if we're willing to do that, God is going to leave us in awe. And we'll have a new perspective of who he is and what he wants to do in and through our lives. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I thank you. I thank you, my God, in Jesus' name, that you pursued me and that you pursued all of us. And in response to your love that so deeply and passionately wanted to be known, we pray that you would move us by your spirit to chase you too. Show us ways that we can be a little more consistent or a little more creative to do whatever it takes, even if it means breaking through a roof in order to spend time with you. And if heads can remain bowed and eyes would be closed in this moment, if you're here, you want to have that relationship with God and receive that gift for the first time so that you can know God through his spirit on a personal level. 
if that's you and you want to start that journey today, then could you raise your hands on the count of three? One, two, three. Anybody here? Thank you. Praise God. I see your hands. Anybody else? Anybody else here? You want that relationship with God? Praise God. All right, for those of you who raised that hand, I invite you to repeat after me. Some of you might need to pursue God in a way that's real, convenient, but also consistent or even creative. But some of you need to start that relationship with God today. I invite you to do that by confessing your faith out loud. Uh, Romans 10, 9 says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him for the dead, then you will be saved. And that's all we're doing together. So repeat after me. Say, Father in heaven, I believe that you sent Jesus, that he lived a perfect life, died in my place for my sin, and rose again three days later. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me life. Help me to live for you. In your name, Lord. Amen.